0: newspapers, the Marib and video particularly, they clearly follow the carrot and the stick approach. You get something nice if you act nice, or you get beat up if you don't act nice.
1: It's election overdose on January the 14th, 2021, your essential guide to all that's been happening in this carnival of what some people still rather quaintly call Israeli democracy. And this week in the campaign, the party's really been kicking off. Actually, so many parties, it's impossible to count them all, let alone dance at them all. I'm Anshul Pfeffer, and with me to try and bring some order to all this raucous partying is the unflappable Dr. Dalia Shendlin, whose services as a pollster and a campaign strategist have been eagerly sought out by numerous parties in the past. And in a few minutes, we'll be joined by former Foreign Minister Livni, herself a senior member of quite a few parties, before leaving the political arena two years ago.
2: Hi, Dalia. Hi, Anshel. Since everything is going to look different about the party system in Israel by February 4th when the lists close, and they may even look different by next week, we're not going to test you on all of this, but... We're going to run through briefly the newest developments that happened this week in the party system from roughly left to right. Anshul, you're going to do the honors because I can't keep track of them all.
1: From the left, we have a new party of Arab Israelis led by Mohammed Darouche, and a new party of Arabs and Jews led by Yonah Yahav, longtime mayor of Haifa, and another party called the Democratic Party, founded by some of the leaders of the anti-Nithneel protests original name, isn't it? Not only are these parties not currently crossing the electoral threshold in the polls, most haven't even been tested in the polls yet. In the centre ground, there's a new party of old-timers led by ex-Mossad chief Dani Atom, which has so far enlisted the services of a star candidate, veteran actor Nathan Datner, who most Israelis remember mainly as a large cat in the 1980s called Shmiel on television. That is actually really funny. <laughs> Then on the centre-right, Moshe Elon's Telem party has split with the Lapid Tid, so they'll be partying separately in the centre. On the far-right, Naftali Bennett and Bezalel Smotrich have fallen out once again, leading their parties separately. Yamina and National Union will not run together as they did in the previous election. And by the way, Smotrich has just renamed his party as Tsunut Tit or Religious Zionism. Catchy, isn't it?
2: I think so. I bet you're all wondering why we haven't mentioned the Labour Party yet. That's because they're not even crossing the threshold in most surveys. The current party leader, Amir Peretz, announced this week that he won't be running for Knesset in this election. He's ending a Knesset career that began 32 years ago. Labor will hold primaries probably... And Meirav Rav Mikhaeli, another leading figure in the Labour Party, hopes to win them. If she does, she'll be the only woman leading a party this time around, at least so far. Everything is still subject to change. Benny Gantz, who just a year ago was the leader of the largest party in Knesset, finally admitted this week that he was cheated by Netanyahu and he called on the entire center-left block of parties to unite. So far, nobody's answered his call.
1: Meanwhile, as America impeaches the President of the United States for the second time, a historic first, Israel's Prime Minister, who has been indicted on three charges, is now set to go back on trial on February the 8th. Benjamin Netanyahu went slightly up in the polls this week, and he discreetly changed the banner of his Twitter account to remove Donald Trump, though he ran in previous campaigns boasting of their friendship, now Trump has been replaced by another 74-year-old man, Dr. Tzvi Herman Berkovich, the Netanyahu family doctor, who is sticking a needle in the prime minister's arm. Yes, the biggest party in Israel is the COVID-19 vaccinations party, as Netanyahu has called it the back-to-life campaign. It hasn't yet brought down the number of Israelis infected by coronavirus, which is still going up at a frightening rate, or ended the third lockdown. Thank you, Bibi. But it has started at least to boost both Likud's standing in the polls and Netanyahu's personal ratings, and not exactly election news, but certainly an, uh, a milestone in Israeli politics. Netanyahu lost his benefactor and longtime supporter this week, Sheldon Anderson, the casino mogul, who uh, passed away in Las Vegas at the age of 87. Zikon <inaudible> Amen. First, Dalia. We laugh at all these parties appearing like mushrooms out of nowhere, but I think that by now it's really unprecedented. I mean, we've always had lots of fake parties, the Pirates Party, the Men's Rights Party, the casino parties, which are all never going to pass the electoral threshold anyway. But the ones that we're talking about now are all parties led by seemingly serious people who have had serious jobs in public life. All of them are men, of course and there's now 20 of them in the mix is this just another symptom that israel's political system is broken
2: yes but i think it's a long-time system it's true that we've uh, had new, you know a proliferation of parties pretty much in every election i think back in april there were over 40 parties that actually ran now of course most of them won't get in it's even more interesting that now all these parties are trying to establish you know new facts in the political system specifically when the threshold is so high. Let's remind listeners that the electoral threshold for getting into Knesset is 3.25%. That's a lot of voters. Most of them won't make it. But I think that the problem is really deeper. Uh, I think that there's a sort of immaturity in the Israeli political culture. Not, I'm not calling any one person immature, but there's a sense that with so many parties, each voter seems to expect that I will have a party that reflects perfectly in Every political attitude I've ever had, it will fit me like a suit. And I think that the political leaders have view it in the same way. So they have a sort of narcissism of small differences between them, or they decline to actually say what they really stand for anyway. Each one presumes that he, in this case, it's a lot of he's, has something completely new to offer, but in many ways is indistinguishable from the ones next to them, especially on the center. And we're going to talk about that later. Angel, do you think the system is broken?
1: Actually, I don't think the system is broken. The system, the Israeli electoral system, has worked remarkably well. Israel's first election in 1949 until 2015, where there were 20 parliamentary elections, and they've all produced winners. And in, 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 even in some cases where there was a tie, they still produced a national unity government in 1984, which ran the country quite well for four years. They ended the uh, Most of the the first Lebanon war, they ended inflation. They brought about a new economic package for the the Israeli society. So I don't think that the system, is broken The system, has worked well. What we're seeing in the last two years in the four election campaigns, we're now in the fourth, is the bug in the system. And the bug has a name. It's Benjamin Netanyahu, the BB bug in the system. We have one prime minister who's dominated so much of of the political bandwidth and has been bending politics to his own, to his will and to his own needs and his, obviously his survival and trying to to evade court. Netanyahu has done things which were unprecedented. Nobody even believed that the Knesset could be dissolved after just a few weeks as happened at the first election in the series. And Netanyahu basically despite not having a majority, managed to bend the majority, which Benny Gantz was the man who'd been endorsed by a majority of MKs, to bend him, to break him, basically, and bring him into a coalition with him, using coronavirus as an excuse. None of these things would have been imaginable in normal circumstances. So I don't think the system is broken. I think we have this big issue called yes, BB, no BB, and until we resolve it, the system can't go back to normal. The big question is once we're in the post-Nintendo era, will normal service be resumed?
2: Well, I agree with you that it's going to be hard for the system to go back to any sort of normalcy until... Israel resolves the issue of yes, Bibi or no Bibi. But I disagree that he is the source of the problem. And I think that what I spoke about before were some of the, uh, let's call it the top line problems in the Israeli political system. I think there's a much deeper problem that predates Bibi and goes all the way back to the founding of the state. And the fact that we don't have a constitution, we don't agree on the ground rules. When you say the system worked for 20 years, I will remind you that Israel... For
1: 20 elections.
2: For 20 elections, yes. I will remind you that Israel is among the top countries who has had... Uh, the most number of elections and parliamentary collapse since World War II, right up there with Italy. So it's not like we have a stable system, and usually those governments collapse over very fundamental issues about the priorities of Israeli life. Also, under Netanyahu, up until the last two years in this strange three, four election cycle, Netanyahu actually had among the most stable governments in Israeli society between 2009 and 2013, a four-year term. That's rare in Israel. And then 2015 to 2019, very rare. So I think it would be a mistake to make it a one-for-one Israel's political dysfunction started with Netanyahu. It's just not that simple.
1: Well, you're a political science, and like me, I'm just a hack, so I'm going to defer to you on this. But I think that there, you know, when we talk about the stability of governments and the success of the electoral system is not necessarily the same thing. And I think the Israeli electoral system has actually been quite good in the sense that it's delivered results which were seen by all parties as fair. Nobody had any serious uh, claims against the results until very recently. And they delivered a government. Whether the government itself was stable enough, that's a different question. But I think the electoral system in Italy is quite robust and works and the problem is, is that right now we're in this quagmire created to a large degree by Netanyahu. And and the question of whether governments are stable is is important. But I don't think that's that's the the electoral system in the same sense.
2: I think it, I think they are fundamentally related because if the governments are unstable and they collapse on an average of two and a half years, they can't govern very well. They can't make policy very well, and they collapse because they can't come to agreement on some of these fundamental issues about religion and state, what to do about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. That's why we have a problem where we see four campaigns and major parties who don't even want to talk about issues. So I think that you can't exactly separate them.
1: So basically, you're a fan of Netanyahu being in in power now for 12 years because that's stability, continuity, and that works.
2: I I think that's a bit of a mischaracterization. I don't prize stability over uh, policy preferences. And I think the question of stability is something that authoritarians like to talk about, so I don't prize it for its own sake. But I think Israel's gone off the rails in terms of instability. However, to your point about something in the system working, it is notable, especially in light of the collapse of the American electoral system in this particular case, which is unprecedented, and we're all trying to cope with what it means. It is notable that with Israel being so paralyzed in its political system for two years now, three election cycles going into a fourth election cycle. We have not descended either into serious election challenges over the results or violence. And let's hope it stays that way. So
1: that's a good thing for the system. And as you said, policies are important. Let's talk about a woman who is all about policy.
2: She's all about policy, and she's going to tell us something about the fundamental problems with Israeli democracy. <laughs> We recorded this interview with Tzipi Livni in her home in Tel Aviv. We are sitting outdoors due to the corona situation and there may be a little bit of background noise. It's natural. Tzipi Livni has served as Israel's vice prime minister, foreign minister, justice minister. She was chief negotiator in the last two rounds of negotiations with the Palestinians. She also led the Kadima Party and won more seats than Likud in 2009 in the elections at that time. She then established the movement, which ran independently and later joined Zionist Union in 2015, but did not run again in 2019. Tzipi Livni is currently involved in international forums dealing with democracy and conflict and she was the first politician in Israel to start a podcast. Welcome to the show, Tzipi Livni. Thank you. You've given a lot of thought to Israeli democracy. That was part of what your party, the movement, stood for and what you talk about publicly a great deal, often critically. What do you think is wrong with Israeli democracy?
0: Uh, What is wrong with Israel democracy is not Israel's democracy Uh, The problem uh, is those that are attacking her, trying to in a way demolish uh, the base uh, of Israel democracy the institutions of Israel democracy and mainly we mainly we have a combination here in Israel of those that for them the idea of Israel is a democratic Jewish state is something that um, uh, can't live together and there is uh, uh, um, a clash between these two values of the state of Israel and therefore what they are trying to do is they are trying to attack or to minimize the role of uh, the Supreme Court of Bagat uh, in Israel, High Court of Justice uh, uh, in Israel, uh, the role of uh, the gatekeepers in uh, different ministries in Israel. And on top of this, uh, you have a prime minister that part of his uh, personal interest is to uh, break uh, the trust of the public in all these institution. And, and this is what he's doing in the last two years.
2: And do you think these problems that you've identified, these attacks on Israeli democracy, are connected with the sort of dysfunction in governance right now, the difficulty of having an election, getting to a government, having a stable government, and what we see over the last two years as basically looks like dysfunction in the system, is that related to these attacks on democracy?
0: Well, system of election in Israel is problematic because of the need to form coalitions. It's not, uh, the problem in Israel is that we don't know, uh, even when we know what are the results of the elections, Uh, in the end of the elections day, we don't know who's gonna be the prime minister. Uh, And therefore there's a need to uh, have a coalition, Uh, Usually, coalitions were based on uh, shared ideology, but now it is more about yes or no, uh, Bibi. Uh, It is more about, uh, it's not about substance. And in a way, until now, because now it is changing, we had a tie between center-left and center-right. And therefore, in order to form a government based on shared ideology, you need to have... More than 50%. What is changing now, and this becomes more complicated, is that, unfortunately, from my perspective, there's a vast majority for right-wing in Israel, but yet the division uh, uh, in Israel politics is the relations uh, with or against uh, Netanyahu. So it becomes more complicated.
1: Next month is the second anniversary of your departure from politics when you announced that you wouldn't be running in the first of the series of elections that we've had over the last couple of years. And in your emotional farewell speech you said something which has stayed with me ever since because it was so accurate. You said peace has become a dirty word, democracy has become a dirty word, when you were relating to the Israeli political discourse. And since then, it's not just peace that our politicians of nearly every party don't want to talk about. It's any issue, any ideology, any serious policy that they're all they've all disappeared in, yeah. in the political discourse. And they've been swallowed up by the yes, Bibi, no Bibi debate, as you mentioned before.
0: And, and not only. Yes. But
1: do you think there's a chance of that changing in the near future? Or do we really have to see the end of the departure of Netanyahu and the end of the, the Bibi era? before we go back to having any serious debate in Israeli politics?
0: Well, as I said two years ago, and what happened uh, in the last two years, is, is that we had three rounds of elections without any substance. And basically we had no substance because center-left is not willing to speak about substance. Because the bon uh, in Israel is to be right-winger. It's a matter of identity, and I believe that this is happening off all over the world. And when your identity is being right-wing, uh, the meaning is that you support Israel's uh, security, you are more of a patriot, and uh, therefore less and less leaders in the center-left are willing to speak about things that I believe would uh, create or affect the nature and the identity of our country. What happened in the last uh, two uh, years is that we are truly witnessing a new Middle East with Abraham Accords and the change of uh, the Middle East. And I truly support this accord, these agreements and normalization with the Arab world. But yet it left uh, at the side of the road the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. So it's not on the table uh, anymore. People are not talking about it, believing that everything is fine. And we are in a slippery slope toward um, uh, one state between Jordan River, Mediterranean Sea, that would not be a Jewish democratic state. And I believe that this is against the vision of the state of Israel that was established as a Jewish democratic
2: state. The parties on the center and the left in particular, for whatever reason, don't seem to be able to focus on the issues, and I want to ask you: They if don't want to focus want on to. the issues okay. because
0: because they believe that speaking about issues would uh, drive uh, right wingers to vote for right wing parties, which, they which do is anyway. natural. Well, what would they do uh, anyway? But yet, people are trying to speak in a rightish manner in order to get right wing
2: voters. By contrast to some of the parties that have not spoken about issues, you have been very vocal on things like your position on the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, your position on the judiciary and the importance of an independent judiciary, and the the need for an equality law. Are these things that you think are missing in Israeli democracy and why?
0: I think it's time for us to speak about what does it mean to be in the center of political map in Israel. Uh, People are saying even now. during the campaign for the next election that there is no left and right and Center became something like an empty space a vacuum in which you can collect votes and I believe that it's time to speak What does it mean to be a center uh, in the center uh, in terms of ideology and there is ideology uh, in the center because we have two different uh, national uh, GPS, two national ways for the state of Israel. One is mine, talking about Israel as a Jewish democratic state, the need to have a Jewish majority, achieve peace with the Palestinians, separate ourselves from the Palestinians and keeping Israel as a democracy. On the other side, there's a complete, and this, this is basically uh, represent the hyphen between Jewish democratic state, the hyphen between Israel uh, a need to achieve peace and Israel to need to keep its security. Also, both are living together and not in contradiction. And also in terms of a social uh, economic uh, vision. On the other side, right, right wing, especially more far right, are taking Israel when their GPS is greater Israel. And when the GPS is greater Israel, the meaning is that you cannot have a democracy if you want to keep Israel as a Jewish state. And therefore, they are trying to... Uh, erode the values of Israel as a democracy. In the center, you have those believing that Israel has rights on the entire land, but yet we need to achieve peace with the Palestinians. That Israel's security means that we need to act against terror when times a request, but yet we want to achieve peace with the Palestinians. And therefore, it's more complicated to explain or to say, yes, we believe in this and in that, but I would use the, the, the word also, meaning, yes, we believe in security and also in peace. We believe in Israel as a Jewish state and also as a democracy. When sometimes I have the feeling that uh, the meaning of center became something like it's not that and not that.
1: So you, you were one of the co founders of Kadima, the most successful, the only successful Israeli center party, the only party which is not labor. All it could to ever have formed a government and you led Kadima in its second election and it was successful, at least from the num- from the numerical point of view. And yet Kadima imploded after three election cycles. And we see this happening over and over again to centrist parties. You don't want to mention parties' names, but we, we all know, you know, where, where they've, what, where, what happened and where they went, all these centrist parties. Why is it so difficult in Israel to articulate a vision for a centrist party which will endure beyond one or two election cycles.
0: Because when you try to speak about topics, the meaning that you need to argue, uh, you have a debate. And I think that I have the feeling sometimes that people are speaking about unity as, okay, let's not speak about all these issues. Let's just be united and I believe that it's important for the Israeli society to be united when we have external threats, but yet we need to be united for something. And without speaking about it, we don't know what are we for. We know just that we are together when when we are under attack. It's a kind of a vicious circle because when Netanyahu, for many years now, tried to portray left-wingers as supporting the enemy, cooperating with the enemy, and we have a spill of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict into or within the Israeli society when the Israeli Arabs are being portrayed as, you know, the Palestinians that are outside of Israel. Good news now is that Netanyahu is trying to achieve their votes, by the way. It's going to normalize maybe the relations with them as well. But when he portrays them, instead of speaking up and saying, yes, we are Zionists, we are fighting for the future of the state of Israel, and we believe that peace with the Palestinians is not a favor for the palestinians but it is our interest people are not speaking about it but trying to to escape from being uh, portrayed as left-wingers and therefore being in the center means that we are not left we are we are not left so,
1: so i mean you still meet and talk and give advice to young activists and people who maybe one day go into politics or already are going into politics and want to break what you call this vicious circle. What's what's the main piece of advice that you give?
0: Uh, I give them the best advice. that As an
1: ex-politician to to future politicians. I
0: give them the best advice, uh, but I'm not sure that this is the best political advice. My advice to young people who want to join politics is basically one, if you want to join politics, it's not just uh, as a matter of a a career, uh, but you need to believe in something because Uh, politics is a platform to express your ideas and to promote your ideas this is one I'm not sure that this is the best political advice because it it looks like in politics these days you don't need uh, it's not the best political advice to speak about your views but I believe that I believe that this is the right thing to do I paid prices political prices for doing so But if they are just going to politics in order to have a better job, from my perspective, they should enjoy
2: politics. Sippy Livni, thank you for being on the show. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Angela, you and I have been talking a lot this week about what it means that Netanyahu's patron, patron saint, some may say, Sheldon Adelson, is no longer with us. What can we say about his eulogy in the sense of Israeli politics? Why do you think it's so important?
1: I think it's important because we're talking here about is the system broken? And I think Sheldon Edison is one of the people who have proven above, above almost any shred of doubt that the system, at least some major aspects of the system, are broken. There's a famous stage interview he gave six years ago where he said it doesn't even matter if Israel's is not democratic. And I think he certainly spent a lot of money in proving that.
2: And he even, uh, at a certain point, somebody asked him, what if Netanyahu tries to undertake some policy that he doesn't want? And Sheldon said, I won't let him. I do think it's an interesting uh, story about an outsider, a foreigner, investing money, private money, to change the political system through his patronage and, and establishment of a freebie newspaper that was essentially a Netanyahu mouthpiece. But I also think there's a deep symbol of hypocrisy because so much of the debate in recent years, has been accusing civil society of receiving foreign funding from very transparent sources. Usually, you know, the the accusation is against government-related sources from outsiders. Sheldon Adelson is a private individual. There is no supervision, no restriction, and he has flooded the Israeli system with money to change its politics. So we have to cope with that.
1: And I think that this is it, this is one thing that won't change after Adelson's death. His, first of all, because his wife Miriam is continuing his policy. She was basically the driving force behind this to begin with, and she she's still around. Israel Ayom is still around, and there are, she's already considering other right-wing candidates for the day after Netanyahu to to put Israel Ayom at their disposal. And uh, this, this aspect of Israeli politics hopefully will, will be addressed because so far the Supreme Court and the Attorney General have all been powerless in, in, in confronting this.
2: Great. So we're all looking forward to a future of more right-wing media supported by outside billionaires. Something to look forward to. Now can we talk about the jingle?
1: Yes, please.
2: Great. I chose this jingle mainly because it is a critical moment in my rather ancient history as a campaign consultant. This was the jingle for Ariel Sharon's comeback to Israeli politics in the special direct election for prime minister in 2001. It is related to problems in the system because at that time, Israel briefly had a system of direct elections for prime minister, a short-lived attempt at electoral reform. This was a bitter contest between Ehud Barak at that time of the Labour Party, and Ariel Sharon of Likud. It was held during the Second Intifada, following the spectacular rise and fall of Barak, who had won the 1999 campaign. It was my first campaign, but governed for just 18 months. Hopes for peace with the Palestinians were high and even heady during his term, but crushed by the failure of negotiations and the explosion of violence in September 2000. People were outraged and disappointed at Barak. But when the race began... Sharon was considered unelectable. He was seen as an extremist, a warmonger. He had been barred from being defense minister. Then on the campaign, his Svengali campaign advisors showed him in ads carrying sheep on his shoulders, on his farm. The jingle is really catchy. It says, only Sharon can bring peace. I worked on Barack's campaign, despite or because of that, Sharon won by a 25-point margin. What's the moral of this story? Well, on the one hand, I guess we could say campaigns and jingles matter. But so do the events. And I want to just point out, apropos what we talked about with Tippi Livni, nobody has run on a platform of peace since then. And on that note, it's ironic that Ariel Sharon was the last person to do it.
1: I'm sure you miss good old Dahlia.
2: You don't even know.
1: And that's all for our third episode of the Election Overdose podcast, brought to you by Arik We'd like to thank our producers, Jan Manevich and Amir Factor, And we want to thank you listeners for being here and we invite you to send questions that we'll try hard to address in future episodes. You can reach us on both of our Twitter or Daniel's Facebook accounts, post them publicly or DM us. We want to hear from you. You can find us, of course, on the ads website, on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify and many other fine podcast providers. Keep on partying until we meet again next Thursday. Meanwhile, shalom and cheerio from the Alec Towers in Tel Aviv.